0: Love Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us.
1: Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up to the minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 716. Four nine seven
0: two. Now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Well, it's Monday, August 14th. What better way to get a bunch of mortgage professionals together than to get on a podcast? And I am excited about this series of podcasts we're doing on GSE reform. It really amazes me how many people are showing up for this podcast, these series of podcasts. So we're excited to have you tuning in again. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It's for mortgage professionals. And we're very grateful that you have become a listener. And if this is one of your first times, check out our new website. Even if you've been a faithful listener for a long, long time, check out our new website. Lots of feedback was is coming in. In fact, in, you'll now see there's a page for each one of the regulars, and uh, Sam Garcia just tweeted out and uh, sent out a link to his webpage. So if you want to hear what all that Sam has said, you just Go to his page, and there's a special uh, URL for that page. Want to hear what Andy Shale has to say? Go to his page. Want to hear what Alice Alvey... Everyone wants to go like, Can Alice slow down? She gives us so much information in such a short mere amount of time sometimes. Well, you don't have to worry about it. You just want to listen to all an archive of everything Alice has given. You just go right into her page, and uh, it's a way to do it. So check out the new LickinOnLending.com website. The Blog Talk Radio website still up and running. And if you have that saved, that's fine. You're not going to miss anything. But I would encourage you to check out because we're putting a lot more resources in on the new website. Encourage you to check it out. So let's see here at Hot Topic today is Glenn Corso. And well, on our Hot Topic, we have our guest, Glenn Corso, who is Executive Director of the Community Mortgage Lenders Association, CMLA. And Scott Olson, Executive Director of the Community Home Lenders Association, CHLA. Now, you know, for those of us who have a little dyslexia, that can really mess you up. Just one letter difference off between the two of them. Very similar organizations. We're going to hear from both of them and their thoughts and how their or associations are looking at GSE reform. Very similar to the MBA, but there are some unique differences. And I want you to tune in and listen to what those differences are, because we're going to be talking about those in the Hot topic segment. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new Innovative Rate Star program. I was just emailing our good friend Jim Jump over there, talking to him about some of the things going on. A lot happening over there at Arch, doing well. He's had to move all the way out to the East Coast and, uh, but it's exciting to see what's going on. RateStar is a great tool and a great effective uh, way for you to get lowest rates possible. Also, Finastra, which is formerly DNH. And uh, I mentioned to all our users that we're going to be at their user conference in, I miss all our listeners, that we're going to be at their user conference in Orlando, the Perspective Conference, on August 24th through the 30th. I'll be there doing the On Lending podcast live from the from their user conference. Also, Meta. Motivity Solutions, which is now part of the Black Knight family. Motivity provides real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards. And then, of course, our good friends Velma at Velma, Brent Emler and Caleb, the team there, do a great job getting the message out. There, the VELMA stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. Great way for you to get your marketing message out in an email format. Also, you can still do snail mail. they got some great flyers and things like that. Then there's Simplify, real-time connecting you with your marketplace through electronic communications exchanges. It allows you to really do an effective job of working with your closing agents and then e-closings. They do a lot of really amazing things with that technology. And then finally, the Mortgage Collaborative. Very happy to have the Mortgage Collaborative a part of our network, and we'll talk a little bit more about the conference coming up starting on Sunday. Again, Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. Also, thank you to Alice, Joe, Andy, Paul, Sam for their contribution to the radio program. So now let's go try to find Joe Far if he dialed in. There he is. Dialed in a little late there, Joe. I couldn't find you there for a minute. I'm sorry, Dave. You there?
2: Yeah. Oh, I'm a here. busy guy what?
0: Don't tell me it's because the markets are just Misbehaving today, give us a report
2: No, I wish, it, I wish they were, they're not It's pretty flat We're uh, pretty flat. We're unchanged on the day Yeah, uh, we've been You know, we started the day a little bit lower And we have rallied from uh, down two or three Early in the morning and, and we're flat, but most of that Most of the being down part was Before pretty much anyone would have put Prices out, so uh, really been a very quiet morning so far today. No economic data to come out, and you know, no no escalation in the tensions in North Korea. Uh, stock markets, in fact, kind of a uh, reversal of some of the f- a small flight to safety that occurred last week. The the stock, the Dow's back up over twenty two thousand. So I think they're up a hundred and something today. So um, so it's really a pretty quiet day.
0: Well, that, that what's going on in North Korea certainly could introduce some volatility, so I don't know mm-hmm. maybe people need these, this tool, the technology, to help them. I think that guy's got a death wish. I mean, it's I, just, I am certain that guy is not going to be around much longer. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that little troublemaker. Uh, I think Trump's going <laughs> to do something about this. I mean, hopefully it's a, through dialogue, not through uh, any other means, but I think he's yeah. putting pressure on China. Hopefully they're going to see that guy gone. So I don't see that one... Being there, but boy, it sure could add some volatility in there. But so let's but, talk and it about did a little bit last week. It did. That's where yeah, we're just going to yeah, I mean, so go next. week. we're going to go next to last week. It was good week.
2: for mortgage rates. It was good for mortgage rates last week, and that's you know we're, we're and not so good for stocks last week. But uh, uh, again, we're seeing the Dow recover some of what it lost. We we didn't see a whole lot in, on the mortgage side, but uh, uh, you know we're getting um, you know. We had a little bit of a benefit last week from the, the uncertainty that goes along with uh, tensions like that. Uh, but that wasn't the only thing that was good for mortgage rates last week. The inflation data was good for mortgage rates. Uh, you will recall two weeks ago we saw core PCE, and it came in at uh, 1.5%, oh. well below yeah. what the Fed's hoping for. This week, or, or last week, core PPI came in below expectations. The bigger, more important of the two, core CPI came in lower than expected. It's it was sitting at an annualized rate uh, or an annual rate of 1.7%. That's the same as it was before. But if you look at the the prior five or six months in uh, in, in sequence, you see that there have been four months in a row. There were four months in a row before this month that uh, that CPI core inflation C- the core CPI fell each month for the prior four months, and this month it held steady at a low, very low rate. So it's certainly not what the Fed is hoping to see and certainly gives the Fed little reason to uh, need to hike rates anytime soon. In fact, several Fed speakers have said so much in that uh, they want to see inflation get back up or at least start moving in the right direction before they hike rates again. Um, during very, the week, yes yeah, yeah. prices rose about 630 seconds, so it wasn't a, wasn't a big movement during the week. But still, a uh, couple weeks in a row, we've seen prices improve, and, and mortgage mm-hmm. rates right now are about as close – very close to the best levels of the year. Yes.
0: Yeah, I know. Very nice. Good. It's good for business. Hopefully, that'll stay. Hopefully, not for – but, you know, we want to see the economy continue to get a little stronger. The inflation thing, that was – I found sure. that kind of interesting. But um, what's on the calendar this week for uh, for what we have to look? A couple pretty big to? things
2: on the calendar, Dave. Uh, retail sales starts the week uh, tomorrow, uh, and then uh, uh, retail sales ex auto, which is what most people focus on, is uh, projected to show an increase of three tenths. It was a small reduction, a small drop, uh, the prior month. So. Uh, That's a big one. Pay attention. Last two times it's come out, it's been uh, a bit of a market moving event. Uh, Fortunately, for the good, as far as mortgage rates go, for the economy, though, it's uh, been pretty weak the last couple. Uh, Housing starts comes out on Wednesday, and then also on Wednesday, the minutes uh, from the last Fed meeting uh, will come out. You know, there's been a lot of Fed speakers uh, like the last time. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, pretty much. Advanced warning, if you will, through speeches is what's going to be in the minutes. So I don't see those being a a big market mover. And then on Thursday, the ECB meets. Uh, They have more to communicate regarding their purchase program uh, and the tapering of the purchase program. So we'll see if the minutes from their last meeting reveal anything significant about that. And that's about
0: it. What about housing starts? Is that anticipated to be growing, getting a little stronger?
2: Housing starts are anticipated to be about what they were last month, that just over 1.2 million. Okay. Uh, and I don't remember last month. If that I think that beat expectations. I think that was a pretty good number last month.
0: Yeah, that was a very strong number last month, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah. yeah, so so, so, yeah, so. Uh,
2: we're looking for continued strength, I guess, is the way to say that.
0: Continued strength. Well, it should be. We need some housing and houses with some sticks that's going right. up. I mean, we live here in this little community out here, in Marble Falls, Joe. You cannot believe the construction and the new subdivisions going out here in our little community. It's just amazing. As you know, you don't have you have a place, a summer place, not too far from here. So it's just there's a right. whole new subdivision, three new apartment complexes. My gosh, growth, growth, growth. So hope that's going on in other parts of the country. Good job with the, what's going on potentially in North Korea. Companies need a service like yours, Joe, to be able to measure and monitor the activity and and when to tell their borrowers to lock. So don't know how they do it without it. But, folks, if you want to learn how to sign up, stay tuned for this message. We'll be right back with an update on a macro look from the markets with Les Parker. We'll be right back after this brief break.
1: More about MBS Quote Line today at MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin.
0: Good to have you back with us. Low logics Les Parker's lesson. Les Parker with Lone Logic gives us a macro update of the the world of uh, what's going on in the world of finance out there, world of economics. And I always love his music parody. So, with that, Les, what you got for us today? Thanks, Please. Dave.
3: This is Market Logic's Live, sponsored by Lone Logic. Well, you don't know what you can find. Why don't you see when the bubbles pop on a magic carpet ride? A word or a phrase. Can move markets. January 9, 1991, Secretary of State James Baker presented Iraq with the U.N. resolution to use all necessary means. Exiting the meeting, he said, regretfully, that's all the oil market needed to rise 30%. July 26, 2012, ECB President Mario Draghi, in the midst of renewed fears about the Eurozone, said, The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes. And that's all it took for the ten-year to rise twenty basis points. What will be the next words to convert high uncertainty to high volatility? These views are my own. Go to LoanLogix.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter.
1: Yeah, that should be. You know, Joe, no, I'm thinking about we should
0: be using that as your ad spot here, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's cracks me up. You don't know what. Anyway, I love that song. It brings back some memories. Anyway, folks, we've got Alice Alvey on the phone. Always fun to have Alice. She is now with our good friend, working Bill Cosgrove there at Union Home Mortgage. She is Vice President of Education and Training. Can't imagine what Bill had to do to get you to leave where you're at and leave your home state, your hometown area, where you've been forever and moved down to Strongsville, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. Alice, good to have you with us. What are you looking at as far as uh, – you gave, by the way, I got a lot of positive feedback on your update last week on the series we're doing on GSE reform. A lot of people wrote me, boy, that was good. Alice's summary was really helpful. So thank you, Alice. That was, that was well received. What you got for us this week? And of course, she is muted, so she has to. First of all, Alice, you got to get that mute button off <laughs> and join us here. Hopefully, yes, yeah, all the does phone right button. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Solve that phone I, button. Yep. Yep. All right. So you're with us. So oh, good. Here we what go. Yes. Yeah, so,
4: oh well. Wow. So the one bill that is getting some action. Hopefully, those of you who have signed up for the Mortgage Action Alliance from the Mortgage Bankers Association, you are in that because it is a quick click to participate. One of the issues that has been in several rounds of our uh, legislation over the last few years is to get Safe Act transitional licensing. Um, This is, I think, very important to the industry. It really does hinder loan officers who are at banks uh, for their job and need to move to a lender. In today's world, they can't originate a loan, so they have a gap. No matter how fast and how good they are, they have to go... Pass the exam, uh, take the 20 hour course, which is brutal to sit through, but they have, you know, when you're an experienced loan officer, uh, but they have to go through that. And to me, if we're trying to say that a bank's training is equivalent and that's why they don't have to be licensed in the first place, then why can't this person still originate loans when they move to a lender, right? You were saying they were qualified when they were in the bank. (laughs) You can't just turn around and say, oh, all of a sudden they're not qualified anymore. So the transitional licensing is very important and helps uh, create a level playing field, helps people continue to feed their families. Um, So we did finally get a Senate bill on August 3rd. So we have a House bill, 2948, that's been out there since June. And again, this is repeat legislation from prior years that hasn't gotten any action. This is a good time where we have both bills. They're pretty straightforward. The thing I want everybody to be aware of within the body of the bill, they're pretty short, is you have to finish this process within 120 days. So, And the loan officer has to submit the application to the state. So say I'm leaving the bank, I'm going to the lender, what I have to do is immediately get my application sent in, which means I still have to move quickly to get my background check and get my test right. and all that done. It doesn't get you out of that stuff, but it gives you a 120-day window get it done so that you can still originate in the meantime very critical bills i think for the industry so if you're not part of mortgage action alliance easy to sign up or if you know your congressmen and senate women's and senators uh emails email them and say we need senate bill 1743 and House bill 2948 coordinated and put on the president's desk this will seem like a piece of cake for him to sign something in with all the other big stuff going on The other bills that we are watching are the long list of flood insurance bills. You know, from an origination standpoint, we go, you know what, I don't know if that's a big deal to me. But in servicing, it is a very big deal to stabilize this. And I think it becomes a big deal for the origination side just because of the cost. These bills are like the Dodd-Frank for insurance companies and (laughs) floods. That's how massive this is. They try and touch that, they touch on the financial is, um, I'm sorry, financial issues to stabilize FEMA, the market issues to try and get a private market, mapping, um, trying to come up with mitigation plans for communities that don't you know, do well at managing their flood problems and continually cost the program money, and then uh, claims handling and trying to get map changes. I mean it just literally touches everything that we know about floods insurance and uh, the flood zone process. So um, we will be watching that very closely. No movement in August as our uh, group is all out on recess in their home territories. But starting in September, we need to push this because uh, we need money starting in October for the flood program. So those are two big things, Dave, transitional licensing two big things. and flood Good. insurance.
0: Yeah, you know, the transitional licensing is really interesting. In fact, I was talking to Pete Mills about that. And he's going to come on next week and talk about what the NBA's uh doing about that. So there's, we're going to get an update on that next week. How cool is that? Great. We're good to have him. <laughs> yeah, he'll be giving us a full update of what's going on and what, what this means and some of the things, how people can prepare for that. So transitional licensing will be the hot topic next week. Good job, Alice. Appreciate you so much. Being here is and really appreciate Bill letting you still be a part of the program. I mean, I know he's a fan of the pro- program and, and the podcast, so I'm not surprised that he would have you still be here. Folks, we're going to be right back with after this message from Finastra, which again used to be DNH, and we've got David Boland. So we'll be right back after this brief word. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor
5: of the Licking on
6: Lending program. Known formerly as DNH, and global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com.
4: Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657.
0: Good to have you with us, everybody. And we've got Sam Garcia, faithful no matter how hot it is in Texas. He's here every week giving us an update on the headlines from Mortgage Daily. Sam, good to have you here, friend. What you got for us today? Uh, I've got uh, news that there was
3: rain. This time I was awake to feel it <laughs> and a cool things down quite a bit. It's nice it's to
0: tell you it, the truth. Yeah, man. I think the Grand we started a new Grand Canyon right out here in our by our house it's just amazing some of the ruts that came on it was really good so hey i'm by the way i'm looking forward to having uh us talk about the news all that's going on with the whole um uh, gse reform and we've got glenn dialed in and i see scott olson just dialed in so we're going to have a good talk on that but a lot of other news going on so give us an update
3: well, let me uh, let me cover first a couple of brief headlines for you. Um uh, one of them was Jenny May reported data that indicates its fiscal year to date uh MBS issuance has surpassed 400 billion for fiscal year 2017. And we still uh got a little bit of ways to go before that year's over. Um Friday, Mac uh, issued an update indicating it'll consider short-term rental income. It's got some requirements for that, of course, but mm. more importantly, the reason I bring that up is because a spokesman confirmed that Airbnb income fits within that category. Um, and really? of course that's a that's a I know I use it and I know a lot of people I know use it. It's a great feat or service to use, but uh so yeah, I guess it's becoming widely used enough that it's worth uh putting on there. Oh it reminds me of uh, did you hear that Google is merging with Uber uh to become Goober? okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs>
7: Oh that's bad
3: that was bad that was bad.
7: <laughs> okay,
3: uh, over at Wells Fargo they are uh, there's a wire news service we published that indicates Wells Fargo is cutting seventy two servicing positions in Vancouver, Washington that comes as of course uh, loan performance has been improving and the need for servicing and default servicing employees are you know a little bit diminished. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to mention briefly was, Lake Michigan Credit Union. They announced plans that they're going to acquire Encore Bank in Naples, Florida. So I thought that was an oh, interesting really? uh, combination there. And you know, I bring up Lake Michigan Credit Union because they're a uh, fairly, you know, they're somewhat significant mortgage player. They closed 2.5 billion dollars in home loans last year. So um, that's just oh, I thought yeah. that was an interesting combination. But I'm going to that dig is in an
0: today. Effort. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. What
3: what's the that accommodation Comes from you... all
4: those Michigan what people love going to Florida. All <laughs> <laughs> Florida,
0: no, yeah. <laughs> when it's winter in Michigan, you want to own something in Florida, so why not buy you a do. bank? You yeah, need that's get good. Out. It's
4: Bank. <laughs> there yeah. you go.
0: There you go, Alice. That's good. That's well, hilarious. Listen, I, 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 so, what's I think the main something... story you're focusing on?
3: Well, I think everybody needs to you know, be uh, aware at least what's going on over Walter Investment. Um, that's probably one of the biggest stories that we ran across over the last week. Now, Walter uh, filed its 10Q uh, with the SEC for the second quarter uh, last week, and um, the company made some dire warnings in the report. Um, Now, you know, Walter has grown its servicing portfolio from less than $100 billion at the end of 2012 to $230 billion by the end of 2015, making it a top 10 mortgage servicer at that point. But, you know, in this latest 10Q, Walter said its primary servicing portfolio has been slashed to less than $140 billion. Um, And mortgage originations, um, you know, at most lenders, as I've reported previously, have gone up. Between the first and the second quarters, but Walter's production fell to less than 4.3 billion from over 5 billion three months earlier. Um, now, this diminishing business came as Walter reported a 93 million dollar second quarter loss, um, and you know among factors leading to the loss was a, a 47. A uh, million dollar decline in servicing fees, primarily due to a planned shift, you know, uh, of its servicing portfolio from primary servicing to uh, sub servicing. Um, so, in the report, uh, Walter warned about its ability to continue as a going concern because of continued losses. Um, the report stated, and I quote here. Uh, Due to the possibility for a prepackaged plan of reorganization under Chapter 11 of Title 11 of the U.S. Code, uh, substantial doubt has been raised about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. Um, and, and in addition to making this warning, uh, Walter said it amended its financial reports for 2016 and for the first quarter of this year. So, uh, you know, was just, I found that kind of interesting because, you know, they became such a big player so quickly, um, yeah, as was yeah. the case, of course, with uh, Aquin. And we even saw a Nation Star, and we've, of course, seen problems at Aquin and what they're, they're struggling with right now. Um, uh, you know, Nation Star has been somewhat uh, less of a story when it comes to that, and they seem to be holding up and got plans. But uh, you yeah, know, thought that was interesting because that's a significant player for the industry. I don't know. What are your it, thoughts?
0: It, it, well, the, yeah, it's a great, it's a great story, and I have some unique insights into that. I knew some of the executives that were there. They got rid of some people. There was some mismanagement of the company, quite frankly. And when you look at how how slow. The board was to react at some changes that were needed at the top. Uh, That's probably what's driving it. The question is, is, you know, I use a lot of flight metaphors, and there gets to a point where, you know, you need to pull up on the stick or pull up on the yoke so you can not crash the plane. The question is, is this thing's just been heading down for a while, and it was uh, undetected for a while? When they, By the time they found it, the question is, can they pull it out before there is a crash? So we'll see. It remains to be seen. Uh, we've certainly seen some phenomenal turnarounds, but, yeah, there's there's some uh, dire Dire warnings about that particular company, and uh, sorry to see that because they were an active player, and it's not going to have a big impact. I mean, a horrible impact on the industry, other than we hate to see big players like that go because it draws has a tendency to draw more scrutiny on the whole overall industry. But that was the mismanagement that went on during those days, Sam, and it's it's, un, it's unfortunate. So, but you do a great job in the website. I encourage people to check it out, MortgageDaily.com. dot com. You can get a hold of Sam at Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily. Dot com or you can call them, 214-521-1300. Great place to advertise, get your word out, great place to go get some data. Got a lot of good data there, Sam. Thank you so much for taking time to join us today, friend. Really appreciate it.
3: Hey, thank you for having me on. Good talking to you.
0: It's always a pleasure. Well, folks, I'm so excited about what we have coming up in the Hot Topics segment. Yeah, we've been talking GSE reform for some time before we go there, we're going to get over to the Profit Doctor. But first, we've got to hear from our, one of our favorite sponsors, RMI. They're all favorites. They're a sponsor. They're one of our favorites. So they're all favorites. But let's hear from Shawnee Honodale, and we'll be right back after this brief break.
4: Thanks, David. Glad to be a sponsor. Spring home buying's underway. The supply is tight and interest rates are rising. Are lenders ready to compete for purchase business, or will they get left behind? ArchMI RateStar is the best way to stay aggressive and stay ahead of the herd. Use our risk-based pricing program to assess individual loan risk more precisely. With RateStar, lenders lead their market the way ArchMI leads the MI industry. Lead with us.
0: Well, that's uh, for sure. Great word about them. Hey, also Velma, I want to make sure you're you using one of those expensive stories? CRMs that your loan officers won't use. If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. Yes, check it out. Do a great job. Sorry, I spoke right over my own, my own hat for them. Anyway, Andy Shell, the Prophet Doctor, good to have hey, you Dave. in the house. How are you hey, doing, Fred? It was great running into your son at the restaurant the, on the Saturday morning, Friday, Sunday morning. Saturday morning, Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, it, it's yeah. fun to see how you're dragging. A, you know what? We need more millennials, so you're dragging your own family into <laughs> the industry. That's awesome. So it was great seeing James. Well, you what know, you got you for us today?
7: Well, you know, he's an originator that's, at an Austin mortgage company, but he's a he's an originator at an Austin mortgage company, but he also is out and about, you know, in every in every venue he can find to interact with potential buyers. So, you know, you do what you got to do. So, he that's great. Can you, can you hear me okay, Dave? Yeah, there you are. I do. Oh, you know Sorry. Well, I wanted to first mention the accounting webinar. We're going to start it again through MBA coming up in about 60 days. So if you're interested in that, mba.org, go to Education Accounting Webinars, and you can find it. But the key topic I want to talk about today, though, Dave, relates actually back to that last commercial you just played. Yes. Because I know that the way the latency works is that you have to, like, you have to anticipate how long it's going to take for the technology to launch, so you have to start That's speaking so and then and then push the button, and hopefully the timing works, or otherwise there's dead space.
1: And then sometimes you, know, you
7: press that, it and
0: it fires right up, so then you go, what do you do then? I know. I don't know.
7: It's, it's unpredictable. It so dealing with a technology challenge like that and the, the latency that you sometimes face is um, one of the challenges that we face in the industry as well, this technology In in general, information technology, IT, you know, it's essential for our business, and it actually can drive a competitive advantage. So we want to be very Mm -hmm. aware of the technology benefits we can get. But unfortunately, in my experience, and I I know you've seen this too, Dave, a lot of times IT decisions are made without a thorough SWOT or ROI analysis. And, And what I see regularly is sometimes The decision to not spend was wrong because there's a bunch of old computers and we just keep limping along with what we got and deal with latency that we have to face but sometimes the decision to spend is right but it wasn't designed well like for example i was in an organization not too long ago and they had just purchased a hundred new monitors for their staff and i was looking at these monitors and dave they were 18-inch square monitors. I could not wow. believe it. <laughs> I could not believe it for like for like 25, 50 bucks more each. They could have. So that's a lot of money. But the productivity enhancement to get a 23-inch widescreen monitor on a mount that'll turn vertically, so you can actually see an entire document at once, is essential. Are you kidding me? Somebody in their organization. Somebody in the IT environment said, oh, look, we get these other monitors for cheaper. They'll be fine. Nobody evaluated the impact that one single decision had on the staff. It's mind-numbing. People just, yeah. just jump and and don't think, and sometimes mortgage folks buy stuff they don't need. Sometimes people make decisions that are uninformed, and all this is driven because we haven't thoroughly vetted the user requirements. We don't understand the SWOT, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats around yeah. the technology decision. And we don't do a technology ROI to understand the payback period and the ultimate workflow benefit from having the new technology, whatever it is, whether if it's the rocket knockoff or some other enhancement or even the LOS foundation as a whole. So my point is we've got to be better at this and – McKinsey has an article out this week on um, IT management, and fundamentally, at the end of the day, what needs to happen is we need to have our CIOs running a SWAT and technology IT decision on all of our technology spend. And if you, you know, if you don't have a CIO or don't know how to run a technology ROI, we'll help train someone in your staff so you know how to do this. Because it sounds funny, a technology ROI. Um, because it's, it's it you probably isn't really a return on investment, but it does help with enhanced workflow, and there is a financial benefit from new technology. It just may not be more than right. the cost, but that's what you got to evaluate. You got to you got to know these things and know what it is that the kids want. It's like in the backyard, the kids want a tire swing, and you build them this great big <laughs> huge uh, you know play structure when all they really wanted was to bang on the tire. That's a so great, that analogy. <laughs> I know. You've That's seen talk analogy. about that before. So don't buy 18-inch yeah. monitors when you could have got 23-inch monitors. Yes.
0: Yeah, there exactly right. I mean, it's just amazing. That's good stuff. It's a good reminder. And, of course, one of the sharpest technology people I know is your wife, Teresa. She is just so good on that. So you do a great job, folks. Are very fortunate Think when safe. they get the the Andy, the Andy Teresa team, because now he, you're going to make sure you don't spend the money stupidly, and she's going to make sure you get the right equipment at the best price possible. So how about that? You great,
7: good yeah, job, we'll Andy we'll, Teresa. She
0: we'll she bottom, she's
7: amazing. Well, fix your bottom line and make sure you got the right stuff to do it with.
0: That is the truth, Andy Shell. Thank you so much. You can get a hold of Andy
7: Thanks, at
0: MBS, Mortgage Banking Solutions. Get a hold of Andy at, then by, by, doing Andy at mbs com. I better get on to this next ad. Uh, Andy was talking about the technology that's behind this. It's so true. We've got John Maynil uh, with Motivity Solutions, who is Vice President of Client Services, with the KPI of the week. And then stay tuned because we, right after John, We've got our special guests on. Scott Olson's dialed in, and we've got Glenn Corso dialed in. So we've got a good program getting into some more discussion on GSE reform. But let's get over to John Maynell. John, what you got for us today, my friend? Well, those darn latency Hello, thanks buttons very there. you thanks
3: Always good to be here. And this week's key performance indicator is application-to-funded cycle time. Uh, Since the arrival of TRID, cycle time measurements have obviously come to the forefront, everything from looking at the entire application to funded cycle, uh, down to sub-cycles, or cycle time between milestones. Everyone wants to compress cycle time, and the beauty of this type of strategic KPI is that it can be tied to operational KPIs that track the tasks or processes within the cycle that contribute to how long or short that cycle is. So operational KPIs can be thought of as the cause, and strategic KPIs are the effect. Uh, And balancing and monitoring these key measurements really can drive performance, and this demonstrates, again, that what gets measured gets results. And with that, David, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again.
0: Good job, John Maynell. Love those. He's working on a bunch of new KPIs, too. They've got a bunch of stuff. there. There is so much happening over there at Motivity Solutions as a result of the acquisition by Black Knight. Very exciting. Check them out, MotivitySolutions.com, or call them at 303-721-9000. Without further delay, we're going to get someone I have been friends with on the phone right now, Glenn Corso, along with a new friend, Scott Olson. Uh, Glenn is the uh, Executive Director of the Community Mortgage Lenders Association, CMLA, and Scott Olson is the Executive Director of the Community Home Lenders Association. I should say that our uh, last week's guest, Mark Jones, is a member of the Community Home Lenders Association and helped... Me work through some of the differences, but to do so between what the what C H L A has is from the N B A. So we're really excited to have both of them with us, gentlemen. We want to make sure your mics are on and you're live. Glenn, you there? Oh yes, Dave. I'm I'm here. Good, good. Scott, we've got you on. I'm here. All right, good. Well, Glenn is a good friend. I've known him for 30 years, but it's an introduction. Uh, Glenn was general counsel at the NBA for years. That's where I first met him. And then he's been re- involved in the mortgage industry in a number of areas, mortgage insurance. He's also an attorney, uh, a very successful attorney, uh, worked a lot in policy, kind of a policy is it a policy walk or or just someone who really enjoys getting into the details because you do, Glenn, really amazing what you have dove, in, dove into. And to really make your contribution, so really excited to have you on the program. And then also we've got Scott, who's 20 years of experience working on Capitol Hill, 15 of which he served on the House Financial Services Committee. That's got to give us some unique insights into what's going on with GS or reform. Uh, he held the title of Housing Policy Director. There's a lot more we could read about. Go check out both their bios in the LinkedIn area, uh, or subscribe to LinkedIn and check out both bios. So, gentlemen, good to have you with us.
6: Yeah, great to be here, Dave. Thank you. Good you to know, be for, here.
0: Let's start off. Uh, let's start off by just really talking two associations um, that are very close to name, one letter off in your initials. And uh, but so, Glenn. And, Scott, could you differentiate your two associations? And, uh, and and I know they're very similar, but for our audience who are not familiar with them, if you could do that, Glenn, let's start with you. Oh, sure. So uh, my
6: association, CMLA, was originally founded by the Lenders One Cooperative, if you're familiar with uh, with that co-op, and started in '09. And uh, most of our members are also members of that uh, cooperative, but we were spun out of the cooperative uh, in in 2011. And uh, we we have about 60 companies in the group, a mix of community banks and independent mortgage companies. And uh, our members lend throughout the the 50 U.S. states.
0: Okay, good. Good man. And how many members do you say? 60 or so? Six. Approximately 60. Yeah. Yeah, six zero. Okay, good. And Scott, how do you differ from Glenn's
5: organization? Appreciate the invitation to be here, and uh, I hope your uh, listeners won't uh, hold it against me that I worked in Congress. Uh, uh, and it's uh, also <laughs> great. No, we find <laughs> it fascinating. <laughs> also great to uh, to be on with Glenn, who's a who's a, who's a wonderful guy. Um, so CHLA was formed about five years ago. Uh, the, uh, a previous group uh, who you know, you know, Pete Mills Group, the Community Mortgage Banking yeah. Project, they went over to MBA, and a number of the members from that group wanted to keep an independent organization. And so CHLA was formed, and we're the only association that exclusively represents IMBs. Uh, our members are all in the either small to small to midsize range. And our group uh, is uh, not getting involved in every single issue but tries to focus on things where, you know, a distinctive uh, perspective and viewpoint and advocacy for small to small to mid-sized IMBs is in order.
0: Well, it's good that you're here both here because you're going to be adding more color to the IMBs because I don't think there's a group that's going to be more impacted by what's going on with GSE reform or what could come out of GSE reform. Than, uh, than your two constituents from both both sides. Uh Scott, we had Mark on last week. He sent me a text message. I was talking to more about it a great representative, in fact, that he's involved with both MBA as a board of governor, he's involved in the IMB uh, within the MBA, and also part of your organization. So it's a very compliment to you. I would like to get your perspective of why you think mortgage originators should care about GSE reform and the, the ways that the outcome could affect how they do business and how we get mortgage loans. Could you, let's start with you on that.
5: That's a great question, and it's one my members were asking a few years ago, and we started focusing on that. Uh, The one thing we learned from the housing crisis is that it's like 10 times harder to fix something after it becomes law than it is to get it right in the first place. So while this may seem, GSE reform may seem theoretical, if and when it happens, it could fundamentally change the way lenders originate and, and, and get access to the secondary markets. So we've really been focused hard on trying to get our members involved and, and non-members, we encourage every non, every IMB, whether a member of our group or not, to weigh in with their member of Congress and talk about why IMBs are important and talk about why we got to get GSE reform right so that the models of how we do businesses aren't undermined.
0: Right, Glenn, why don't you jump in, especially in respect to conforming conventional. The con-
6: Hi David, I'm sorry, you cut out. Are you still there uh well sure as far as uh, uh, uh this goes our group uh the the average member in our group originates about seven hundred and fifty million uh, a year in in loans, and about half of what they do are conventional conforming loans almost all of which they they sell either directly to the GSEs or through an aggregator to the GSEs. So when you have half your business riding on something like this, it tends to grab your attention, that's for sure. So that's, that's something we're intensely focused on is GSE reform because it's so important to our members. And one thing they really want to avoid is, they don't want to return to the uh, uh, pre-2011 days when because of uh, discounts on guarantee fees, you had three large lenders dominating the entire market and most of the small and mid-sized lenders like the ones we represent were forced to sell on a servicing release basis to those big lenders because the discounted guarantee fees that they negotiated for themselves gave them a pricing advantage and a competitive advantage in the primary market. And, uh, and our folks couldn't, <laughs> could, not, uh, could not compete uh, unless they sold servicing released.
0: That's really interesting. I'm back. By the way, I'm back in. I don't know. It's bad when you when the host gets bounced out of his own switchboard during the program. So that's kind of frustrating to have happen. <laughs>
4: that's so okay, I was in the midst of that. You jumped in
0: there. I love that about <laughs> you, Al. You can jump in there, but everyone else can So go ahead. Someone else was just jumping in there.
5: David, this is Scott. I just wanted to chime in on and add to what uh, what what uh, Glenn said with an anecdote. We have a member who's uh, who's still going strong, that tells me a story from like 12 years ago when he was talking to the chairman of Fannie Mae and he was complaining about volume discounts and how they traded the big guys better than, than, than our types of members. And he said, well, you know, uh, the, the simple fact is we just think countrywide is a safer bet than you guys are. That's, oh, <laughs> wow. that's why they got that's a, the that's a true, that's a true well, that puts things in
0: perspective as far as the big, and that's, so that really goes over to Glenn. So what is the the objective, the main objective for small lenders in GSE reform, Glenn? And then I'll get the same response from Scott. Sure. So, so the main
6: objective uh, is, is actually pretty simple. Uh, they want to preserve what's working today and they want to fix what went wrong in 2008. And so we, we feel that we know what went wrong in 2008. It was a weak regulator, inac- inadequate capital standards for the GSEs, and, and then poorly designed products and weak underwriting. So the weak regulator has been addressed, right? We now have FHFA right. a lot stronger. Uh, FHFA has the authority under law to set strong capital standards, which, by the way, they need to do. <laughs> and uh, <Yep. laughs> we, we think we think we've we've taken care of poorly designed products and weak underwriting. Uh, those are both gone, and they're consigned to the dustbin of history, hopefully. So what we need to do really is just uh, just a couple of things. We need a permanent federal backstop for the GSEs. And we need to make the current law that prohibits uh, discounts on guarantee fees, you know, negotiating those special deals with the big guys. That's outlawed now. Yep. But that law expires uh, in 2021. We need to drop that expiration date and make it permanent.
5: Scott? You want yeah, to add I, to it? Uh, uh, no, I think he said it pretty well. I would say that basically our, 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 uh, our, our lenders want to compete and do a great job on lending. And the, the, the concerns go to a lot of the concerns go to whether or not the secondary market players they could use those that position in the market to gain a competitive advantage or gain a competitive advantage for their affiliates. So we just want a level playing field and to to excel at what we think IMBs do, which is originate good quality loans for qualified
7: borrowers.
0: And I think right now where the backstop is, where some of the differences are, if I recall reading some of the material, between how what you see as backstop, where that should be and where that should stop, and where the MBA's program is. Am I correct in that? Well, is that similar? Go ahead. No, Scott, go ahead.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, there is a big difference. We believe that they ought to immediately start and and put in place a, a capital buffer under this sort of bizarre agreement they put in place four years ago, they've, stole, they've basically taken away and they take away the GSE's profits every quarter. And now we're in a position where, you know, if you had a tiny little loss next year, you would have a, a treasury advance. And so I worked on the Hill for Capitol Hill for 20 years, and I can tell you what's going to happen. They're going to they're cry bailout. The people that are against Fannie and Freddie are yep. going to cry bailout and it could negatively infect, uh, affect the way the GSEs are willing to do loans and it could have a bad impact in Congress among other things. So yes, we, we think it's imperative and a lot of groups like lens and others I think it's imperative to, for the FHFA to immediately let them keep some profits and build up a, a capital buffer.
6: Right. And Dave, uh, let me, let me just follow on to what Scott uh, was saying. We absolutely agree with that. And, uh, I was talking last week. I was at a Lenders One conference talking to a room full of midsize and small lenders, and I looked at them and I said, now, if you can believe this, come January 1 of next year, each one of your companies individually will have more capital than either Fannie or Freddie do under the uh, agreement with the Treasury as it's written right now. And there was a room full of people that just looked absolutely shocked when I told them <laughs> you
0: that. Stunned by that statement. Yeah. You know yeah, what, Andy? Well, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting when you look at the capital requirements and some aspects of it. That's why we I was thrilled to have you guys on to really begin to dive into it. Andy Shelsman, uh, if you've listened to any of his the interviews, he's, he's the one that kind of sums up every one of them going, I'm a bit dubious about anything happening. So, Andy, I'm interested in getting Scott's opinion on that, but I'll let you frame up the question, seeing as you're the one kind of going, hey, I think there's going to be more talk than action on all of this. Which, you know, do you want to dive in on? Your skept- with your skepticism or uh, sure, your sure. pessimism?
7: Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I'm going to stick on the front end of this, not the back end, because that's a whole nother topic, and we're not going to have time to deal with the servicing side. So, hi, guys. Glenn, Scott. Great hey. to have you hi. on Lickin' on Lending.
6: Thanks, Andy. So
7: here's the deal. Here's, here's what I'm seeing, and this is what I want—I'd appreciate hearing your thoughts on. And first off, I agree with the, all of the points you have made thus far about preserving the level playing field. Now, I, I think that as a, we have been a Republican administration currently, and it, it seems to me that when you go to Congressman and you say, "Hey, by the way, we're not going to—we're not going to give a quantity discount for large buyers," so that's just antithetical that's not what Republicans would say They would say that you buy more, you spend more, you get a discount. Also, there should be free market forces in play to allow big lenders to get a better deal. So we we don't want that, and there's lots of reasons why. What I have not yet heard is people identifying that structure with the monopolistic uh, impact that it could have. And while we we have a long history in the U.S., all the way back to Teddy Roosevelt, of breaking up monopolies, so there is an absolute foundation of not having monopolistic structures in environment and this clearly leads to that but I've heard nobody talk about that so how do we How first off do you even agree with me and second of all how do we get a, a plausible package in front of Congress that is going to allow Republicans to support not providing quantity discounts
6: well uh, Andy let me this is Glenn let me kick it off but I, I know that Scott has a bunch of comments on this too uh, <laughs> two two quick things I'll say there the, the first is that um, I wouldn't underestimate the sort of the uh, power or the authority among Republicans when you start to play the small lender card. Uh, particularly, uh, we're working very closely with the Independent Community uh, Bankers Association. They are a very powerful force on Capitol Hill. Lots of their members uh, have their banks in rep- traditionally Republican areas, so they they wield quite a bit of clout, and they see eye to eye with us on this on this issue. Uh, the uh, right. so yeah, so so that that that's that's an important one, and uh, the the second thing is though, uh, you picked up on an extremely important point, which is that the discounts that we had in the uh, in the pre two thousand and eleven era. Uh, led to a huge concentration of lending among a few small a few very large institutions that 's a concentration of risk and I know you know this, and I certainly know this with my m i background that concentration of risk. Is is uh, quite quite problematic and can always you know usually lead to very bad situations. So we make that argument quite frequently that unfortunately the discounts go hand in hand with uh, concentration of risk because the big guys then uh, sort of corner the market.
7: Exactly. This is Scott. A great Scott. Point.
5: This is yeah. Let me briefly address the issue of what's going to happen. I mean, I. Uh, uh, The thing is, yes, uh, they may not pass the bill this Congress, but the reality is this stuff is vitally important. I was working on uh, GFC legislation in 2003 on the committee, and the bill that passed in 2008 was very close to that. So you've got to be involved in the process because opinions and proposals harden and they also affect the way FHFA does business. But on the issue that Glenn was talking about, You know, competition is one thing, but when you have uh, other parts of the market, the secondary market, the investment bankers, for example, if they're going to get in, and this is another area where we disagree with the MBA, we don't think that the the primary player, the the people in the primary market, the investment banks, to do the securitization, a lot of people, a lot of the same people that drove the economy into the ditch 10 years ago or eight years ago, that they should be able to use that status to get into the primary market through bank affiliates. That's what's called vertical integration. And we don't think these big investment firms should be able to use the sort of risk-sharing process to do the same thing. And so those are the sorts of concerns where the unlevel playing field is, is going to come into play and, and where we're pushing hard against.
7: Perfect. Well, Dave's going to slap me for this, but the NBA can't agree with that because that affects the fees they receive.
1: You're going to go. You're you're going right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Andy, you are just cracking me up. I love you. Uh, So let's go over to Alice and then to Joe because I know you have been listening and been a part of all these other discussions. So, Alice, let's go with you first. Some questions that you have in light of um, what what we've heard previously for programs and then also what we've heard here. And then I'll head over to you, Joe. Alice?
4: Hey, great conversation. So um, I love that last point about the, about the investment bankers. What, I, what I'd like to know is your thoughts on, you know, the idea of having multiple issuers um, and the idea that maybe the Jenny May model is close. Now, being on the street level, I understand I, my mind goes crazy of all the complexities, you know, with trying to have a Jenny May model, but that was talked about on a couple other shows, I'd like to know your thoughts on that you know we need more than a duopoly we need how many is is there really a, a market out there to get other investors and then what do you think about the Jenny Mae model
6: Well I'll I'll kick it off Alice, and then I'll toss it over to Scott but um I guess the the first thing is uh when I when I talked to my 12-person board of directors and then we went out to the membership uh we couldn't find a single one of our members that felt that we needed more than than two they felt that there was uh, good competition between them, and they liked having the choice between Fannie and Freddie and, frankly, to be able to choose on, almost on a loan-by-loan basis what they were going to do. And everybody, uh, you know, said to me, w- why do we need more? And I was talking last week to that group of lenders that I mentioned earlier And I asked the question, I said, all right, how many of you have uh, capital laying around, uh, you know, excess capital you're not using that you're ready to invest in a new GSE? And they all looked at me like, you know, I had three heads. And so, uh, you know, one of of the persons piped up and said, well, no, we know who's going to, you know, put up the money for that. It's going to be Wall Street and the uh, big investment banks and the big banks. So they'll control these new GSEs. Why do we want that? And I said, you're right. I don't know why you would want that.
5: And, and, Glenn, in addition to that, I'd like to add, I mean, we we were at a, a CHLA and CMLA and ICBA and some of the other small lender groups. We were at a Senate Banking Committee panel recently, and one of the things that was brought up in that discussion, and I'd urge people to go read the transcript. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, re, uh, that One of the things that came up is that if you put a number of new charters to compete with Fannie and Freddie, that means a number of systems that you small lenders have to interface with. And so that's going to be uh, much more difficult for small lenders to cope with and, and interface with and have IT costs, et cetera. And so one of the things that Fannie and Freddie do well is create the standardization that we can easily feed into the, the, the market. And, and we'd like to preserve that. And we think that proliferating these new charters to compete against. The GSEs, as the MBA wants, is could be not not a good thing for for that reason too.
4: Yeah, right, it does and, seem and like it opens that up for the uh, investment bankers to kind of pick up that piece, which would just put us right back where we were.
6: Right. So, and and Alice, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to neglect the second part of your question, which was about the Ginny May model. Um, yeah. The only the, the the real issue there when I when I talk to my members and, and they they point out to me they say look Glenn, Ginny May is a great organization but don't remember Ginny May works well because they work very closely with and they have as a backstop FHA and its mortgage insurance VA and its guarantee and the Rural Housing Service and its guarantee so you don't have that same kind of setup in the conventional lending world. So we're not sure that a Ginny Mae platform is really the right solution there.
0: That's really interesting. That's a great perspective because uh, yeah. there has been a number of people saying that is the best platform and the, the way to go. So I'm looking at the clock, and, Joe, we don't mean to leave you at the end, but you, we've got time for you to slip in a question or two, so go ahead.
2: All right. Well, Glenn and I had a conversation regarding this uh, in Minneapolis, and I appreciate uh, <laughs> following up on that. The one of the things uh, I, I I question is, uh, and it goes back to one of our prior meetings, Dave, or our blog talks, was simplicity. And, and as I mentioned to Glenn, you know, uh, why would we want two when we could? It would be more simple to have one. And, and he had pretty good arguments. And I'm looking at Dave uh, at Dave Stevens' blog post from late last week and he has some pretty good arguments as well for more than one anyway he has for many one of the things he posted in here was uh, uh, competing and he said pricing and I wondered if you guys had seen that and knew what he was talking about because I know he's not an advocate for uh, uh, you know uh, competitive pricing uh yeah Joe I'm I'm
6: I'm not sure I I know that my uh that uh my members tell me that uh there there is still a, a bit of competition on pricing but it's more almost during the day kind of thing rather than you, you know week to week um okay. and so that's uh you know we we've seen a little bit of that but I think it's more competition on service and products at least that's what my members tell me
0: Okay Scott, you want to add to that?
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, uh, the, the the question is, and I think some of the groups out there that deal with this sort of, you know, protecting consumers have some concerns about this too, because does that mean, you know, people trying to race to just only serve high FICO borrowers and try to cream crops? So I, I don't know what, is, is, is that what competition on pricing is? Cause a lot of the other groups I think would have a, a problem with that. Um, I guess the bottom line is do you feel like you're getting reasonable service from Fannie and Freddie? And I don't think it's perfect, but, you know, as my impression, for example, a year or two ago we, we were talking to Freddie and they seemed like pretty interested in bringing in new IMBs and, and, and trying to compete on service. So I, I don't know. I'll let people judge. Uh, I don't think they're perfect by any means. But, you know, one of the arguments for two instead of one is that you at least have that factor but then there's when you get to multiples, you get to some of the risk factors that we've discussed. Well, I think if there's if there's two
0: but they're not a part of the federal government as they are now, then you know you could say competition's a good thing. If you say, you know, why do we really need them? Is it efficient? Then, you know, it's 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 an interesting argument that we could go into either side. But here's one thing I want to get to. What we definitely need is G S E reform and what we definitely need, we all agree, no matter where anyone else. I don't think there's any contractors to that. Is that correct, gentlemen? I mean, everyone That's agrees correct. that G S C reform? I mean correct. it doesn't matter who's which of the associations. So we all are in agreement with that and we all know what we do want is to have a level playing field. So I'm going to wrap this interview up and again we're going to start this time with Scott and then we're going to go over to you Glenn and let you wrap it up. What do lenders, small lenders specifically, most not want in GSE reform? Your perspective, Scott? You kind of talked about Uh, it, but let me wrap that up.
5: Again, I think that two things. One, what Glenn's talked about, which is a smooth transition and not have drastic changes that are going to be difficult to deal with. And number two is to have that level playing field because I'm very confident that if IMBs have a level playing field, they'll do a great job. They'll continue to thrive. It's, yes. it's, it's the it's the changes that would allow either people in the in the in the investment banking business, the securitization part, or in the risk sharing business, to encroach on the on the primary market of loan origination. That's what we're concerned about.
0: Well, talk about good originators. You've got Mark Jones, a part of your organization, your association, and talk one of the top top originators as far as well-run companies in the. In the industry, uh, in the nation out Absolute, there.
5: Absolutely. So, Glenn? Absolutely.
0: absolutely. So Thank you. Yeah. So, so Glenn, so, so what a lend, two of the what your top things that you'd say we most small lenders do not want?
6: <laughs> I'd say the the two top things are number one, some kind of uh, a large, elaborate law that uh, looks to remake the entire secondary mortgage market. Uh, small and mid sized lenders absolutely don't see any value in that whatsoever because they feel the system has worked well since the crash. We know what uh, caused the crash, and we just need to address those issues and then and then move on. Second thing is that, uh, as I said before, lenders just don't see the utility in being able to charter additional GSEs. So there's very little, if any, enthusiasm for that kind of thing, and they really don't want to see that. And then third is... What Scott touched on, which is this kind of idea of vertical integration where through, uh, you know, uh, the use of uh, risk sharing or things like that, all of a sudden you have a situation where the big lenders once again gain a uh, pricing advantage in the primary market and control access to the secondary market. That is sort of the ultimate nightmare for mid-sized and small lenders and one that they absolutely
0: want to avoid. There is so much on this topic that we could just go on and on and on about. and uh, But it's so good. I appreciate you both for coming on the program today and bringing some more clarity for the small lenders. And you guys do a great job of representing them. I know the NBA is doing it. Pete Mills is doing a great job trying to do the same things you guys are. I'm glad to see. What's really encouraging is to see – All y'all, as they see here in Texas, working on this together to preserve and make for a strong, small lender community across the United States. I congratulate you both on your hard work. Good luck on this, and love to have you both on. I think you guys do great with like yin and yang. We got you both on. Although it's, I guess not so much yin and yang you both very much aligned, and I think it's really good. To, but there may be yin and yang as it relates to the the NBA. But it's really good to have you both on, bring out the perspective for the more perspective for the small lenders. Thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. Appreciate it.
6: Well, and thank you, Dave, for the opportunity. Very much.
0: It was. We brighter. do appreciate. It was always, and we'll have you back on other issues. Let's not just make it about GSE reform. Let's have you back on on other issues, both of you. Appreciate it. Folks, we've had, again, Glenn Corso, which is uh, who heads up and is the executive director of the Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America, and then also Scott Olson, Community Mortgage Lenders Association, and um I'm glad to have both of them here be with us today. Also, next week we have Pete Mills coming on talking about transitional licensing, what Alice talked about in her hot comment uh, or in her comments earlier. Looking forward to having their perspective as well. It's good to have you with us, everybody. Tell others about it. Special thank you goes out to our sponsors ArchMI, Finastra, Motivity Solutions, Velma, Simplifile, and, of course, the Mortgage Collaborative. Good to have you with us, and thank you to Andy, Alice, Joe, and Sam for helping make the content of this program so solid. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. Enjoy what's left of the summer here. Thank you. You've been listening to
7: Lickin' on Lending,
0: a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage
1: Solutions. Join us next week...